fan ourselves with old copies of Der Spiegel and Paris Match from the magazine rack beneath the window. My fingers blacken with the ink of scandals. I consider leaving the train and hiring a driver, but we're on an express, not scheduled to stop. Besides, Benny has been looking forward to the train for so long. It's an early birthday present. He'll be eight years old in five days. I can't bear to disappoint him. Acres of lavender whirl into a smudge past the window, and I force myself to think happier thoughts. Benny's birthday, going to Paris in a few days and meeting up with Benicio. Still, in the rising heat, I see visions of my ex-husband's Swiss army knife, hear the sucking sound of punctured flesh, feel a burn in the white, razor-thin scars between my ribs. I remind myself that Jonathan is in a Zurich prison where he'll remain for decades. Breathe, Celia, I think. Just breathe. Ich habe Hunger, Benny says. I glance down at his dark, shiny hair, the exact color of Benicio's, his papa, though no one would ever guess they are biologically uncle and nephew. I nod toward the picnic basket on the floor. Grab whatever you like, I say. Any minute we'll be hit with a puff of cool air. Surely. Any minute, someone will know what to do. Outside, a stone farmhouse, a scatter of goats, an abandoned, half-timbered barn modeled oddly with graffiti. In the distance, red rooftop villages stack against the hills. Miles of rolling vineyards fill the space between the train and the French villagers inside their cool stone homes on a hot summer day. The light is beginning to shift. Hills become arid mountains, and a thin purple glow filters the sunlight. No wonder so many masters painted here. A castle and its crumbling Roman wall appear in the craggy mountainside. Look, I say. Another one. Benny nods. How is it that a country this size has castles every few miles, I say. Who were these people? I admit I know too little of French history. Napoleon, Marie Antoinette, the gift of the Statue of Liberty. Benny devours sliced oranges with nutmeg, then grapples with a block of homemade salted butter caramel enrobed in dark chocolate. He licks his fingers, sighs, and slumps with fatigue. I shove the compartment door open its final inch in a feeble attempt to get some relief. Ten minutes later, it's even hotter, stuffier. Benny hasn't said a word. I glance down. Good God, I say, and Benny laughs. He holds his sticky brown fingers out into the shape of a tiny rib cage. Crystals of salt shine through the muck on his cheeks. I need a napkin, he says, the whites of his upturned eyes made whiter by the chocolate underneath. What you need is a bath, I say. You need hosing down. I rifle through the picnic basket. Apparently, in our hurry to catch the train, we forgot to pack napkins. Im café, Benny says, then switches, as he often does, to English. I saw them next to the bottled water. His limbs are a deep olive from swimming with his cousins in Zurichhorn Park. Strands of his hair have lightened into streaks so uniform, it's as if they've been singled out and bleached. 
He peers up at me with an expression so much like Benicio's that I ache with longing. Benicio is in Paris doing research for a script. We've been apart for days. I rise from my seat. Sit tight, I say. Don't touch anything. I'll be back in a flash. I tousle Benny's hair, it too identical to Benicio's. As I walk down the aisle, it occurs to me that I never indulged my older son, Oliver, now grown and living in New York City. But indulging Benny has been so easy. He's such an even-tempered, affectionate child, and what's more, he's a marvel, a kind of food prodigy who creates recipes with poetic names like Yellow Tuesday Chiffon and Evening Marinade. His favorite blend, Herbes de Provence, rosemary, French thyme, tarragon, cracked fennel, and lavender, finds its way into sweet and savory alike.